Welcome to the Recovery Lab podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. Recovery Lab hopes to destigmatize addiction and normalize recovery. Our platform provides an avenue to share the many stories of those that have recovered from addiction, providing for the listener the most basic antidote to addiction. Hope. All right, everybody, we're back. This is episode number 49. 49, how 49 about that? 49 of the Recovery Lab podcast series. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. We are the Recovery Lab. We have uh, as unique uh, a guest as we've ever had. You're you're one of 49. Uh, <laughs> the, the type of thing that you offer and can bring us today. So we have... John McAndrew, my Scottish brother. How are welcome, you? Welcome, welcome. That's right. How are you guys? We're doing well. well, doing well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for what you guys do. And uh, before I get started, I want to thank Ruth Ann Rigby, who's absolutely really, uh, I mean, you guys know, but maybe your listeners don't all know, just a tremendous person in this field. And uh, she introduced me to to you both, and we spoke a long time ago. So yes, sir. I'm really grateful uh, to be here today. Yeah, she is a she is a magical, magical woman, and she is capable of of creating connection where there is no other connection otherwise. And she's she is a God given gift, and she is absolutely incredible. So we are 100 percent grateful to her for for everything that she does for not only us but for the recovery community as a whole yeah she's been a, a staunch supporter of the recovery lab and has helped us get guests that otherwise would have been unattainable right absolutely well great it does, all you have to do is ask sometimes you'd be surprised yeah exactly exactly so why don't you tell us a little bit about you a little bit about your story how uh how you have um uh, just tell us a little bit about who John McAndrew is. Well, I'm a very old man. <laughs> I you know I turned 69 last week. Happy and, birthday. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a stepdad and a grandfather and uh, a recording artist, a therapist. Um, I work at a place called Cumberland Heights in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. Kind of combining all the the best loves of my life, combining music and uh, spirituality, recovery, and working with the patients there. And I'm a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. I, you know, combine with personal experience and substance abuse and, and mental health. It's a, it's a combination, I'll tell you, uh, Daniel and Drew, that uh, I think before... I got into this new life. Uh, I, I don't think I really had a purpose, or if I did, I sure didn't know what it was yet. Sure. And when I do things like this today, I realize uh, just in gratitude, thankfulness, that there's a purpose for us that have gone through this, a lot of stuff, and we've been busted up and broken. And uh, I think if we become conduits, we're able to have a purpose and, and do things for, for other people. And uh, so I'm from Minnesota, you can tell, with a little bit of a accent. Sure, sure. And I, I really fell down south due to getting signed to my first record deal with Muscle Shoals Studios. And that's 27, 6, 7, 8 years ago. So I came down from Minnesota. I, I, I was in fairly uh kind of a long time into my recovery at that point and uh i'm driving from minnesota down to muscle shoals alabama and a honda civic with everything i own jammed in it divorced again for the second time and uh that time in sobriety and uh anyway i made it to muscle shoals to do that album and you know i thought it was about me getting big and famous in the music industry but really i think the plan was was for me to meet my wife nancy that sounds pretty sappy but the benefits of that are, i i can't even describe to you that's i'm a grandfather and been given a chance to be a lot of things i i couldn't do by myself you know yeah um, i don't think it's sappy as all everything that 
has happened in your life happened for a reason. And if it hadn't have happened, then, you know, things might have not worked out how they are now. And it sounds like today you're very pleased with the man that you are today. So no regrets on, on that front. Well, I tell you, I got potential. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny, guys, I'm sure your other guests and, and you too, the, what I know about the both of you, in the rearview mirror, things look, oh, you know, and I'm bounced around like a pinball in a pinball machine, and I think I know what I'm doing, and I think I know what I want. But man, when you look in hindsight, you you know, like me meeting Ruth Ann, it seems like a million years ago, I was introduced to her, and, and, and I think of all the people that I've been introduced to because of that situation, you know. Right. Um, and now here we are with you guys, but, um, you know, the music... I'd like to play a couple songs today and kind of fit them in with my story. But, but that, you know, who I am, that's basically it. I, I work at Cumberland Heights. I'm touring a lot as an artist. And I work a lot in the recovery community uh, at all sorts of levels with people using the music. Awesome. Well, let's, let's hear a little bit about that. Let's hear some of that, rather. Well, I hope this usually sounds pretty good, you know, uh, Sounds good on our end. This is the first song I wrote in my new journey. And, uh, you know, we heard a lot. I heard a lot about God and all that and and the fellowship I was in and that I needed to turn my life over. And I'll tell you, I I was raised Irish Catholic. And uh, my dad's passed away, and and I don't want to badmouth him too bad it was a tremendous man but he suffered from alcoholism and other things and uh i uh i used to pray to god for all these things and it's like i had a menu like i was at sonic you know and i want this this is i was giving god orders right and one of them was to make my dad better and quit acting the way he was so when i got here i wrote this song and uh it got on the radio, and, and then it's, it's, it's made it into a couple of movies, which is kind of interesting. But the first time I heard it on the car radio, and it, uh, you know, it sounds really great, and it's kind of exciting for any artist. Sure. And then the third verse came, and I didn't remember writing it. And in the third verse, after being pissed and angry and doing this, I go, well, maybe if it's how I look at things and give me new eyes. And so that's the title of this song right here. Beautiful. See you, let us see you, see you now. 
feeling this way Please forgive me for blaming you the way I do How I forget things Giving you advice Oh, if it's how I look at things Give me new advice When dark skies come over me Give me new eyes about that bravo bravo brilliant my friend brilliant so tell tell us how do you incorporate because you you <laughs> you definitely have a gift god has given you a gift and something that you know a lot of people don't have so how do you how do you use those gifts to to help other people at cumberland heights and and in recovery uh as a whole how, how do you incorporate that music because it, it's it's a beautiful tool to be able to have at your disposal well you know I don't think it's much different than what you two guys do um, in that, you know, give me new eyes to have a different perspective. The disease of addiction, uh, you know, if you get the deeper you get into it, uh, the more you realize how simple it is. It's a disease of perception. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm a, I have mental health issues. I'm an alcoholic, number one. And then I got all this thinking stuff. Right. And perception for me, uh, you know, I could go into that forever and ever, but give me new eyes. Is, and, and in psychology and therapy and all that stuff and in spirituality and all the re different religious veins to find a power greater than ourselves, it's all about seeing things with a different light. That's much what you two do. Sure. You're trying to get people to see that no, you're not uh, an immoral person. This is a disease. You know, I have diabetes. I relate a lot. When they, when I came to recovery, people said, you know, it's a chronic illness. And if you have diabetes, people don't put you down. And <laughs> Right. They certainly don't you know, talk bad about you. For, you know. Or if you've got cancer or if you've got any other disease. So the perception of that is step one. You know, I think, and you guys are doing that sort of thing. The part with Give Me New Eyes is I came into this thing with a, a pretty harsh, punishing conception of God. And I, I guess I could argue that it's pretty much what they told me. Sure. That it's a, a condemning, a punishing thing. And, and if you don't do this, this is going to happen to you. And that God does things to me and for me. And that's, that's why I came in with this sort of shopping list sort of attitude, giving God orders. It wasn't long when I was into this journey that I was taught, I was shown, it was demonstrated to me that God does through uh, things through me. And in, in order for me to receive that, I need to clean some stuff up. You know, I, you could say it's a little bit like plumbing, you know, if you're, you're, your pipes are clogged, the spiritual pipes are clogged, and nothing can get through there because of my perception and anger, resentment, fear. You know, I owe people amends. There's a lot of, a lot of work to do. But boy, that first time I have the humility to admit that I need some help. Right. And then it seems that we're able to receive God's help when we do that. And all the actions we take are, are steps into humility and um, so that's how that perception and I think you know and many of your uh, people watching this probably know unless I take some humble actions in my own recovery into that humility that grace and that beautiful light that this God however you describe that you know I'll, I'll describe it in a couple songs here for me but once we clean that out and are humble enough to say, you know what, I need some help, and there's some stuff about me that ain't so hot. Right. And God, you know, help me. 
And then all of a sudden, this grace, this light, you know, happens. And so that's the benefit of seeing with new eyes. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is I got to do it over and over just about every day. Right. And that, you know, there's something about... It's a practice. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, there, you know, there's there's something magical that happens when we get to the end of our rope and are willing to accept help. And it's 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 crazy, but... Every time that I've been involved with someone, myself involved, in, uh, myself included, that um, they, the, the person is finally at the, the end of their rope, right? And they are finally, they've been blessed with the gift of desperation. And it just so happens that when they get to that point, almost like clockwork, God comes in and takes them by the hand and, and leads them through. But God, it's, it's like God is waiting for that willingness to be made. Or, or to be desired, and then once that happens, then then God can God comes in and, and really does some incredible work. Uh, but for me, it, it it took me getting to that point of desperation where nothing else looked good, and I I was either going to live or I was going to do I, I was either going to unalive myself or, or or do something different, you know. Did you say unalive yourself? Yes, that's what I that's what I oh, did say. Oh, that's a pretty cool way to put it. Yeah. You know, and, and the realization that uh, I'm going to use an expression which is going to give away the fact that I'm old and I was born in Wisconsin, but holy cow. <laughs> holy cow, we realize that this power, this God, this, this higher power, this force of grace needs us in this transaction. Right. That was a new concept to me. Uh, you know, I felt this real distance before, and I'm not knocking the way I was raised, but there was very little transformation. But come on, I was 12, 13 years old, and I'm doing the same little things. Right. It's a whole different ball game when we hit that spot, right. which I hit too. I lost my mind, physically could not go on. Drank a bottle of vodka, couldn't even get drunk anymore, and just wanted to die. And that was for a long time. You know, God help me. Those are the three words. And amazing things happen. You know, and, and the storytelling and what you guys are doing is really great. And, and uh, people that are in all the different fellowships realize that <clears throat> on a personal level. But we need to talk about what happens to us when we do that. Uh, and I'm gonna play this little song. I think I think this might kind of fall into what we're talking about. If I can throw another one in here. Hey, we are we are in heaven right now, yeah, getting to listen to out. you. So well, uh, you know, we we are in heaven. And I used to think heaven was in Iowa. I don't know why <laughs> I was a little kid. But it just seems so. Anyway, <laughs> this is a true story, and and as I told you, I got my first record deal publishing deal album down in Alabama and I went down there and that's where I met my wife Nancy and she's part of the connection that that uh, made this song happen in this story at one time I came home from I was out on the road and I had done a nice little concert at a theater and I got treated real special for a couple of days and I get home and it's back to the real world right. take the garbage <laughs> out came through the garage and my wife was on the phone and she said, hold on. Uh, she has a real Southern accent. and Hold on, I'll ask him. And she was on the phone with a friend who uh, who had a friend from Demopolis, Alabama, which is lower Alabama. Mm -hmm. And I think you folks probably know where that is. Yes, and uh, this person had been in treatment 20-some times, mental mm -hmm. institutions, about 12. And I, I there's really... It's hard to find the difference between right. between the two sometimes. I say that just laughingly and in relief. And in truth. Yeah. yeah and yeah. in truth. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and he had nine DUIs or DWIs, what you call them, and uh, he'll never drive a car again. And this friend had, was telling my wife that he thought he was drinking again and that he was in a hotel in Nashville and that he was dead and would, would I go get him because he knew a little bit about my history and, and I don't want to go to a hotel to get a dead man you know my <laughs> first reaction is I'm human right. 
I've been on the road. I'm a diabetic. I had some sugar-free ice cream in the fridge. I'm going to melt a little of that. I mean, I'm, I had all my plans made for that day. And we laugh at that, don't we? <laughs> and my second thought is, okay, it's a dangerous place. So I call a guy that I, that I know and ask him if he's got a gun. He says, yeah. I said, do you have a license? He says, yeah. Do you know how to shoot it? I think so. You know, here we go. So it's like Barney and Andy, swear to God, going to get this guy in a hotel. And when we got there, it was a very scary place. But ironically, they were really glad to see us, to get him out. And they didn't know if he was alive either. We opened the door, and he was almost dead. And and I, what happened was Cumberland Heights took him and saved his life physically. Then the spiritual journey began. This story happens two years later. And his fella, his name is Isaac, is sober for two years. And he calls me as a consultant and uh, says, I'm going to Knoxville with my new friend, Jimmy. And so here's the backstory on Jimmy. He's in the mafia and his whole family's been in the mob for a long time. And Jimmy ran a prison in northern Michigan. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> and he got in trouble with the feds. And then he has to get into treatment and get help he ends up in nashville at this men's sober house at the kitchen table with isaac here's jimmy and isaac jimmy asked isaac to help him with some things that he couldn't do very well isaac said i'll i'll fill out all these papers if you drive me everywhere to our meetings and our doctor's appointments and and they became these were two guys that were so seriously isolated from their disease that both of them had wives and two kids, and none of them would have anything to do with them mm. at all. And here they were, these two guys. So they went to Knoxville. They get this old car. They come back to a place where a bunch of us are just coming out about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, about 15 of us standing there. It's a sunny day kind of in June or something. They fly into the parking lot at a Mercedes-Benz convertible with gold hubcaps. And they fly it to the end of the parking lot. I swear they're going 80 miles an hour. They do a 180. The tires blow smoke, and their head is for us, straight for us. And I'm going to myself, I'm not a very good consultant. <laughs> <laughs> and what happened, you guys, is exactly what this connection is about. Is they stopped, and they threw their arms up in the air. and went, We drove 95 miles an hour the whole way back. And this big smile popped on Isaac's face. And the back story, he was, he was so happy, tears were coming down his eyes. When he was 14, he and his dad got hit by a train in Demopolis, Alabama. And his father disappeared in front of his eyes. And his family, who I had been in touch with, said Isaac had not smiled since that day when he was 14. This day, on that ride with Crazy Jimmy... Two guys in recovery helping each other it was the first time he'd smiled in 50 years. He was 64 years old. Wow. So that, you know, the name of this song is God Works That Way. And I apologize for the long intro, but. No, no problem. It's an absolute miracle. And it's happening as we speak. It's happened with you two. It's happening with two other people in recovery right now. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. So it's called God Works That Way. Well, Jimmy got his old car back A Mercedes-Benz Riding with the top down And his brand new friend His name is Isaac He's a good old Alabama boy Fighting the old devil, yeah, who loves to take his joy. And now they fly through the Tennessee hills, waving their arms in the air. Jimmy was born in Youngstown where you had to be bad. 
Isaac and Demopolis in the backseat of a cab. Jimmy says I always wanted a friend and a car to call my own. Now the oddest couple in the whole damn world, they're flying down the road and they fly through the Tennessee In just the right place Who you're with, who you're with It's never a mistake If you believe That God works that way You see they just got back from war With a bottle and a pill no, they're not weak men, it's no matter of will. While crawling back from emptiness, there came a light and a spark. When the angels made them angels to keep each other from the dark. And now they fly through the Tennessee. Just the right place Who you're with, who you're with It's never, never a mistake If you believe God works that way Well, I believe, yes I do That God works that way. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Fantastic. I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> Look, I can see where you get your material from, the words. Where where does your music uh, uh what inspires your music? That's a good question, Drew. I uh that's a really good question. I mean, I've I can just playing, imagine you've got a lot of Tom played, Waits and Dr. John or something. Right. In bars, you know. Sure. And I, I learned to play piano, a little bit of guitar, in the bars, you know. And I, when I look back at the history of my life, I, I so enjoyed music, and 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 now I can tell you the power of music was already in my life because. Whenever I was doing this, or even in the middle of all my chaos when I was drinking and drugging, and uh, I found so much comfort in just the music and the notes and all that. So I, I played a lot of piano. My father was a jazz musician. My older brother was a bass player, really great, kind of Grateful Dead, kind of... Upright bass or bass guitar? Bass guitar, kind of country rock, and he could play anything, and... I watched the two of them, and I, I didn't really get into music till later in my life, but the power and the comfort it gave me and the calming. So I, I taught myself piano, and, you know, then it wasn't long before alcohol was telling me what to do all right. the time, where I was going to go, and I found I could play in the bars and sing a little bit. And I could, you know, I made a good living doing that for many years. I worked day jobs, but it was always music that was tugging at my heart. Right. And when I finally got sober, I realized I didn't know anything on very much. <laughs> I mean, right. I could... It's amazing how that happens, isn't it? Yeah, I could fake a bunch of stuff, but I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take piano lessons. So I get, I go to this place and the oldest kid there is 11 years old after me. <laughs> And uh, he blows my butt away, and it's embarrassing. And he's reading Bach, and then he's playing stuff. And I go, 
this really sucks, you know. <laughs> and another little moment of humility diced out on my life. So it made me practice. And I started to learn more, and then I started to write songs, my own songs. But, you know, the music of the piano is just... It, I think I think Drew, it comforts me from everything. And then I had a choice early on. I remember I was sober for a while, and I was playing in a pretty big band at the Mall of America. It was a country band. And it was a really good band, and about nine people in it. And I had written a song about horses or something. trying to, And I had a little single. It was on the radio. And it goes over like a lead balloon in the bar. Because you know? <laughs> boot, scoot, and boogie is what they wanted. Right, and right. That day I realized I don't want to do that anymore. I want to, Music is going to have to be something important and have purpose for me. And that's when I went from playing in bars and bands to playing solo piano and writing my own music. That's when I started to really learn to play the piano, you know, and the music came. And the more you learn musically, you know, the, the more you can do with lyrics and it just expands. Right. So I'm still really learning a lot, but that's a great question because nobody's really asked me that before. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Well, what a, do you, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I'm feeling very selfish right now because all I want to do is listen to you play music. But we also have a purpose that we have to we have to do other stuff on this podcast. But Great, all, do it. all I'm wanting to do is listen to you play music. So <laughs> I, I'm feeling a little guilty, Drew. I'm a, I'm a little guilty. Do you happen to have anything else that you could perhaps play for us? I got a million of them. <laughs> I wanted to ask you all a question. And sure. It pertains to one particular line in that last song. Um, they just got back from war with a bottle and a pill. Right. No, they're not weak men. It's no matter of will. That line has a lot of history for me. Um, I work with a fellow named Jim Ramstead, who was a uh, congressman from Minnesota in recovery and he fought for years and years and years for a thing called the parity bill where people where insurance companies would treat mental illness and, and uh, alcohol and addiction at the same way they do heart disease and pay for it in the very same way sure. he fought to educate people that it's a disease and it's not to be exactly what you guys are doing but on a, a level, you know, with the government. And he fought and fought and fought. And we would do events and try to tell people it's not a moral failing in these people. It's a disease, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's the one part of that song uh, where I try to say that. And then, of course, the solution is a higher power, something greater in us that, that works through people. Right. And uh, I just wanted to bring that up because, uh, you know, I looked at your website and and uh, I admire you for advancing this discussion, you know, with each other. And there's ways to do that. We talked about that, Daniel, sure. you know, about the little thing. Let me do this one song. And yeah, take it away, I boss. I love jazz music, Drew. I can tell. I just love old jazz. And I might do a little something like that later, but I got a gig in New York City to replace a jazz band, a trio, at a private club in Manhattan Theater District. I, my manager got it. I thought I'd made it in the shade, you know. <laughs> and then I find out I got to rent a couch, you know, in Long Island just to stay there. Right. The expense of it. And then every day I had to take a train from Long Island into Manhattan and the subways to the gig. And one day I go down on the subway and there's a dude in the middle of the subway no legs, on a board, singing about how grateful he is for the grace in his life. And he was clean and sober. He was singing about it, just a cappella. And the, both sides of the subway had totally stopped listening to this guy. That's how good he was. He just completely stopped everybody. And I remember walking down there into that thing, and it just blew me away. And those of us that are in recovery and they're working on that stuff we got this little radar we can kind of tell what somebody's 
singing about and playing about. Sure. And I had been kind of pissing and moaning, excuse the language, about having to take the subway that day and the train to get to work. And boy, did he change my thinking. I had a whole lot of gratitude. So this this is called Broken Soul, and uh, it's for that guy. I saw him singing on a subway floor No legs beneath him, just the wheels on a ball And this angel's voice came roaring out Gently first, then a trembling shout He tells his story in old woven clothes Gloves on his hands Just a rubbing on the floor His eyes are closed And he sings his song Oh yeah, only from his heart And the music flows From his broken soul from a secret place, I swear God only knows Where it's honest and it's simple And it's only from his heart And the music flows from his broken soul And strangers gather there Make a crowd. Trains keep on rumbling. He just carries on. Bluer and bluer and truer with each word. My breath is taken. So would be yours. And the music flows from his broken soul. A secret place I swear that God only knows Oh, where it's honest and it's simple And it's only from his heart And the music flows from his broken soul Incredible. So I, I've got I gotta know, do you 
is writing writing the songs your process is it is it a way for you to make sense of emotions you feel is it a way for you to kind of process heal maybe heal or or you know i can only i think it feels like to me that you heard that man sing and it must have left such a deep impression on you that you've that you wanted to not only celebrate what he opened up in your own heart, but to kind of help you process the emotions that come along with it. I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth. Here. Well, no, I, I completely understand. And I think it's, it's one of those, the answer is probably all of the above, but what happened, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression and it's been around for hundreds and thousands of years, but I would rather see the sermon then hear the sermon for sure you know sometimes we uh i you know i think it's proven with science that we can only handle so many words and discussions or a powerpoint thing or uh you know a classroom being taught in the classroom i think drew what was so powerful about that dude was i was really in a crappy mood i uh i'm type 1 diabetic and that's a big part of my story being having juvenile diabetes and being an alcoholic and then, yeah, they don't go well together. Mm-hmm. No. And then having needles that really, and then knowing bikers, all that combines. To, right. But I was, I was in, I was in self pity that day, you know, to get right to it. And here I am and I come down in there and I look at that guy and I go, Oh my God, he doesn't have any legs. And he's talking about how thankful he is for everything that he's got. And I think there's a couple things in my life. I've seen Randy Newman live in concert. And I remember thinking, I'd like to do that. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that guy doing that, I think part of me said, I want to write a song about that and share it with people. Because it's a great way to explain how this thing works. You know, if we keep, if I keep, my gratitude or thankfulness up here and my expectations or demands, we might even say unreasonable. I do that crap all the time. Oh, yeah. To myself, everybody. If I keep it kind of like this, that's what that dude was doing. Right. Unbelievable, you know. Or And if we get on those days where we go, I can't be any more grateful. I'm doing Then lower your... Right. Well, it is down here a little bit. But that's what that guy did for me. Well, it sounds like that, that gentleman was living in gratitude, and that's something that what I have found is that's, that's the key to my happiness. If I can be grateful for the, the good and the bad that's going on in my life right now, accepting the good as good and accepting the bad as opportunities for me to learn and grow instead of something negative that's happened to me, if I can stay in that practice and stay in that gratitude, then suddenly I am in a really good mood. I'm in a good place. I'm content with what I have. I'm not angry. I'm not sad. I'm just level. And that's something that it only happens when I'm actively practicing and actively trying to be grateful. And I got to stop myself, you know, sometimes I'm not, I'm not great at it every day because I'm human and I'm imperfect. But if I can, when I'm getting in that, that angry negativity, negative self-talk mode, if I can, if I can just take a step back and listen to self and just remember that, Hey, we have where we're at right now is where we always wanted to be back then. And so if I can just sit, sit tight and just be appreciative and grateful for what I have today, happiness is right around the corner for me. How do you, how do you, Daniel, how do you stop when that meant sometime, just for me, anger, I know where it all comes from. And I think part of what our recovery is, is we know where we're deficient and where we need help, but it doesn't seem to stop it. I've been sober a while, a long time. And, uh, it seems to come. What do you do when you feel that? Man, I just feel it coming up and it rises up my neck. And I'll tell you exactly what I do. And this is a, we, we had a whole episode on this, internal family systems. I look at all of these negative emotions, negative self-talk that may come across my, my psyche as nothing more than parts of, of a whole. 
So they are parts that are activated that feel a certain way. So when self, self is in control of all of our parts, you know, with this internal family system. So when, when I can train my, my parts to, and, and, and love and appreciate those parts as they're doing nothing more than trying to protect me. They're trying to bring me information and I have the choice. Self has the choice to either react and, and act a fool and, and let that part really take over and take over control or I can take a step back and pause and acknowledge this information that's being brought to me, whether it be I'm, I'm fearful of something, I'm angry, which again goes right back to fear. So what it does, what it boils down to me for me is uh, practicing internal family systems and ultimately practicing love for all parts that make up Daniel Anderson. So even the bad parts that I used to hate on because they were saying, oh, you know, you need to go and, you know, you, you need to go and relapse and you need to go and do this bad thing and this bad thing. What I've come to realize is none of my parts are inherently bad. All of my parts are just trying to do the best that they can to protect me and make me feel loved and appreciated. And, and, and that's all they're doing. And sometimes they get overly activated so what's important to me is to let those parts know that they are loved, they are appreciated, and they are cared for, and that they can take a step back and trust that self is in control and that we're not going to do anything that makes them, that, that is going to hurt them. And, and they start to trust that. And, and all of a sudden, we walk through life, and all of these negative thoughts, all of these negative emotions that may come across, and they do. They, ha- they do for everyone. Suddenly, you're not angry at those parts. You're appreciative of those parts for bringing you yeah. information and allowing you to process it and trusting you that you are not going to put them in harm's way. Yeah, it's very, you know, that's really very buddhist and sort of its concepts of detachment mm-hmm. and and sure. listening to the little baby that's crying or right. there's a lot of ways to look at that they're all the same thing what you're talking about is exactly. to pause and say it's going to be okay you know and practicing what do you love do, drew? yeah what do you do drew in the to try to calm the storm when the crap hits the fan i was going to say it another word but <laughs> hmm I try my best to run through the the equation of why am I reacting poorly? Can I identify something that I must feel threatened about and then just acknowledge it for what it is? Uh I can be a little bit of a hothead and it usually, I mean, every time that I have lost my temper, it's because I know that I'm right. (laughs) And it's whether I'm not right. That got the biggest laugh of the day. That's great. Whether I'm not right is really not up for debate. Because I know that I am. And I try to uh, uh, work through that there at least is a possibility that there's another way of looking at things uh, and that I should give some grace maybe to the other person to hold a, a, a contrary opinion. Yeah. There's a great book called The Seven Deadly Needs, and it's been around a long time, but you made me think of that. The need to be right, the need to look good, the need to know. Oh, man, there's sometimes I just need to know everything. (laughs) I remember as a little Catholic kid, they they make you race up to the blackboard and like be first at everything. You know, otherwise you're just shamed like crazy. Right. I still have that. And when you say that, the need to, to be right, oh, my God. And I think what both of you guys are saying is what I do, too. And, and it's taken a lot of practice to just stop. You know, don't try to figure out why the, why the house is on fire. You know, just an example of 
But that's kind of what it is for me. Sure. Step back and put it out, you know, and and then look at where is it coming from. And the longer I do this, it always comes from pride and some selfish, self-centered fear. And even though I know all this stuff, you guys, it doesn't mean I can. So I got to, I stop and then I ask God, what do I got to do? What's the right thought? What's the right action? You know, and that, in that pause, amazing things can happen. Sure. And we all know, and lots of people listening today, how many times have you just been dead set on some situation? You either knew you were right about it, or you, you just couldn't do anything to fix it, and it was really driving you crazy. And then two days later, it all just solves itself. Right. And you didn't have to impose your authority, you know. And as guys, as men, that isn't what I was taught. Now, I'm 69. You guys are a little younger, but what we were taught, it's John Wayne, it's the white horse, it's the lone wolf. Don't ask for help. My God, that's weak. Right. You know, so we really we're really having to learn some new things. And I, I think that's basically at the root of it is sometimes I got to realize I got to humble myself. and I just don't know. You know, well, I'm reminded of something you said at the very beginning of the podcast that kind of has stuck with me. I've been mulling it over over here about, uh, you know, viewing your life through the rearview mirror. And I thought, what what a nice way of putting and i think you were alluding to the fact that we we have a choice we can assess our past in one of two ways in a way that will be critical and will uh you know continue the cycle of poor behavior or we can look at it in 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 and in as in, a, in the most objective way as we can and try to figure out what use we can make of it. Now you were talking about going to muscle, muscle shoals and uh, you were going to be a rock star of some kind. And, yeah. you know, it ended up being that you met your, your spouse and, you know, we can either look at our past and just think, oh, I missed out here. I left. I, I suffered this consequence, or we can choose to 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 assess it in a way that will give us something profitable to move forward. That's the only way to do it. And it's the only way to do it, it. It is as much a practice as it is anything else, as any other endeavor in life. And I am better at it now than I was a couple of years ago. Uh, there certainly is room for improvement, uh, but you know, acknowledging that we have that choice today and praying for the willingness to make the right choice is, is how we can benefit and how we can continue to grow. Well, I see you broken out that guitar. So yeah, watch out. Yeah. Let's you hear know, Could be that. what Daniel was saying. Uh, and both of you guys are saying to have this attitude, and Daniel already said it, that everything is, it's not good or bad. We've been raised with black and white and dual thinking and, oh, that's horrible. This is good. It's all what it is. And, you know, we laugh at people, people in recovery say, well, be really grateful for your difficulties. Mm-hmm. You know, what? That's a hard place to get to. Oh. There's all sorts of paradoxes in this stuff, you know, die to live and oh man, you can get really confused. Give it away to keep it. Give it away to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. I love what Daniel said is we, when these things arise, we can detach from it and hold that little crying baby in that family system, whatever that's going, you know what? I'm afraid. Okay. It's going to be okay. Just show them love. It all boils down to love. Instead of fighting it. And when but I, it takes a measure I of fight, faith. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Well, it takes a measure of faith and hope that we're often devoid of when we first come to recovery, because in order to think, Hey, it's going to be okay. This is just a part. You've got to get to where you have some comfort and faith in your higher power, in your faith practice 
to be able to lean on that. Yeah. And so it, it really is difficult in the beginning and I don't, I don't hold it against any man for having trouble with it in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. John, we've, we are, um, we've got definitely enough time for another song, uh, but okay. we don't, we don't want to keep you without too long. further ado. Yeah. We don't want to keep you too long. Um, so without further ado, let's, let's hear what you got on this. And then we're going to, this one's called God found us at the bottom. And I, I wrote it for the recovery church in St. Paul, Minnesota many years ago. I, when I, one of the songs, can you hear that? Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I got asked to come play at a church up there in Minnesota. And, and, and I remember telling the guy on the other end of the line, I'm afraid if I walk into church, I'm going to catch on fire. You know, <laughs> he says, well, how come? I said, well, I don't know what I believe. And he, he says, it doesn't matter what you believe. And I went to that church that day and there were eight or nine people got to go up on the stage. Native American guy with some sage, some people read some Buddhist literature, scripture, other people read stuff they wrote about their own experience with their higher power. I thought, man, holy cow, here comes that Wisconsin word. I'd never seen anything like it. And I wrote this song for that church, and it's called God Found Us at the Bottom. And the moral of this is that God loves us through each other, and we're always going to have somebody around us to help us through this stuff. It's, uh, sure. <laughs> God always touches those who fall. 
out of time i can't think of a higher note literally and figuratively to end on (laughs) other than that john thank you so much for your time um you're unbelievably incredible and keep up the great work cumberland heights is is it should be grateful to have you they are absolutely lucky i'm really thankful the work there and thank you drew and daniel good luck with everything you're doing god bless you thank you so much guys bye